For this third episode, we were lucky to have Major Aaron Salinas on the podcast. Major Salinas commissioned the Air Force in 2006 from the Virginia Tech Corps of Cadets into the Space and Missile Operations career field. She just transitioned into the Space Force as of October and is currently in the Space Operations career field working in a staff position on the Space Superiority Panel. Listen in to hear about her insight about the Corps of Cadet life, her career, and her advice on family life while in the military. Hope you enjoy. Okay, so we are recording now. Uh, so thank okay. you, Major Salinas, for hopping on with us. Um, I guess just starting off, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself for everyone listening? Sure. sure. I'm originally from Woodbridge, Virginia. I grew up there. Um, I lived there most of my life. And uh, I am a Virginia Tech graduate. So I graduated from the ROTC detachment down at Virginia Tech. Um, and I did my master's degree through the University of Maryland. And somehow ended up on the mailing list. So, um, of course, they never took me off. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a Space Force officer um, right now. And I did. I have about 14 years in. And I just transitioned recently from the Air Force. So, uh, my first duty assignment was uh, missiles, which wasn't very uncommon at the time. But we don't do that anymore. Um, space has been a separate career field for the Air Force for a while now. Um, but then my second job was um, offensive space control. Um, so I have a little bit of that background. And I also spent some time um, working uh, space domain awareness. And my job before this one was at the CSPOC, which is the Combined Space Operations Center. Um, so um, just and then right now, I work at the Pentagon. I'm um, part of the A8 staff, soon to be S8 staff, um, that'll be transitioning, working on the Space Force budget. Right. Um, definitely want to hop in space uh, eventually. I have so many questions because I just see space as one general topic, but I'm sure there's so many different, uh, different shreds to it, different focuses um, that I do want to talk about. Uh, my first, really interested in your experience just at Virginia Tech, um, and then obviously your master's and how you ended up on our mailing list somehow and your experience <laughs> at UMD. Uh, definitely want to hear about that too. But first off, kind of, how'd you like Virginia Tech? Because that was a school I was looking at personally, um, but just because of the core cadets and honestly, just being from Maryland, I chose University of Maryland. Um, but I kind of want to hear on your perspective on it. And if you had any experience at, you know, seeing Debt 330 while at Maryland, kind of what you've seen as different, uh, both being RTC, but one being a core cadets may be a little different of an experience. Yeah, definitely. So um, I actually didn't apply to the University of Maryland. So I, I've, I've um, for my undergrad, so I'm, I'm not sure um, what I would have liked or what it was, what is a little bit similar. But one of the things that did attract me to Virginia Tech was the core. Um, I decided kind of early on that um, as a senior in high school that I, I wasn't sure that I really wanted to do an academy. Um, but I'm not from a military family, and um, I really had zero military experience before this. So um, I kind of thought that I might um, like some of the things that the Corps has to offer. Um, so they have a, a it's kind of like a leadership lab, if you will. Um, it's a little more day-to-day -day than most traditional ROTCs. So, you know, you live with um, people who are in the Corps. You're organized in um, companies. 
Um, it's an army um, style uh, thing, but it's multiple surfaces. And it's, it's not mandatory to uh, be in an ROTC to even be in the Corps. You can just be um, a student at Virginia Tech if you want. Um, but it is a kind of a different program. And there are not many, there used to be, like Corps of Cadets used to be a lot more common, but there's not very many of them left. So that's something that I thought was really unique about tech. And then also I was very interested in engineering as a, a senior in high school. And um, Virginia Tech just has one of the best engineering programs in the state. So um, when I was looking at schools, to me, that was the, really the most important thing was, you know, being able to go to a, a really great engineering school and uh, have that um, background for when I wanted to graduate. I wasn't really sure um, when I first went in the military if I was gonna be career or not. So I wanted to make sure that I had um, some other options if I decided that I wanted to um, leave the service before the 20 year mark. Sure. So there were some cadets that um, there were some cadets that were in RTC at VT that were not part of the core cadets. So you could just do program, but not completely. You can't. So it's kind of like you can do one, but not the other. So you can just be a, a person who um, wants that military school like experience and wants the core experience. There's actually a um, a minor in leadership that goes with it um, that you can you can work towards and get. Um, but if you are an RTC, it is required that you be in the core. So it's kind of like one of those things where you cannot be, and it's fine. The, the core when I was there had about an 80% graduation rate. Um, so like about 80% of the cadets were ROTC um, students and then went on to get commissions. But about 20% or so um, were just you know, for one reason or another, people who um, wanted that type of experience from, from college. Right. Interesting. I've never even thought of that or heard of that. So that's kind of cool to bring up. Um, what was the commitment outside of just like a leadership lab? Like, did you have to wear your uniforms every day? Um, did you have to be in or live with other uh, core cadets, cadets, like all four years? Did you have to yeah. like, go to football games? Like, you could talk about yeah. that kind of stuff. Oh, there is definitely a commitment. Um, you do live um, with a cadet corps, and it is something that you're you're an active participant in um, all the time. So, and it kind of depends on like what you want to do, how involved you are, and um, leadership wise, um, what positions you want to apply for. Um, after your freshman year, you can you have the choice, you can apply for things that you want to do or you want to um, work with, or, you know, some people were more RTC focused. Um, I know that um, at the Air Force detachment, sometimes, um, you know, because we split our time, sometimes that was an, another opportunity for people. And it wasn't necessarily the same people all the time that, that got the same, same types of jobs. So our leadership in the Air Force cadet wing was different than um, the core leadership. Uh, so it just kind of provided multiple avenues for, for people to try out multiple things. Um, I personally, uh, in the core, I was a first sergeant for a little uh, a semester. Um, for me, and a first sergeant in the core is a little bit different than a first sergeant in the, in the Air Force. They're mostly in charge of freshman training at the time that I was there. So um, I did 
cadre and freshman training a little bit. And um, I also was a company commander my senior year, um, which I still think is a, was one of the coolest experiences that I, that I got to have. Um, I didn't have any really large positions in, in the RTC cadet wing, um, but I did get to work on like the, um, the Air Force has a, a wall of fame for Virginia Tech graduates and get to get to do some of that stuff through um, the Arnold Air Society. So it is a little bit best of both worlds, but you kind of do have to balance. Um, and it is a little bit different because you, you go to school with um, at the regular university, right? So you're, you're a Cork cadet member, but you're a part of this huge organization. So everybody's a Hokie and you get, go to class in uniform um, and everything like that. And of course, everybody else is in a uniform, which is somewhat of a unique experience. I'm sure for regular RTC people, that's kind of like that too, where you go to class and you, or if you happen to have another class on a day that you're in uniform, you're probably one of the only people in that class in uniform. Uh, yeah, definitely. I would say Maryland, um, not up to what I've heard about the Corps Cadets and uh, you seem to have some pretty cool traditions, but yeah, definitely, um, definitely that part of just being in a public school with a lot of people and a lot of your friends that aren't uh, experiencing what you're experiencing. Um, except for myself, like I'm in other organizations outside of just uh, RTC and like just walking into like my fraternity house and I'm being the only one in uniform and everyone just saying stuff and questions and everything else. So it's kind of interesting um, to have that experience. Um, but yeah, so how was football games? I've heard the big raw and rave about VT football games. So, well, it was pretty awesome because being a member of the core, we got, um, at the time that I was there, they did a lottery for students. But if you were a member of the core, you automatically got a seat. So we always got to sit together, um, for football games and there's a lot of traditions with those. And I was a part of the band for, um, three years. Um, so it's, it was super fun. But those those are some of my my favorite memories of being freezing and <laughs> watching right. the team play. <laughs> so you guys had like assigned seating or like a little section that you guys always yeah okay. yeah we always had a, a a assigned section and most companies march over um, uh, as a group for most games. Right. So. Um, so what did you end up, uh, what type of engineering were you at uh, VT? I was an aerospace engineer, um, and I focused more on uh, space than aero. Um, my senior design project was a sounding rocket um, project. Um, the university had been involved previously in launching a sounding rocket out of Wallops, and they were looking to do that again. So I was not I was a part of the senior design team that was at like the very beginning stages of, of that potential second launch. So, so was space always something, or at least aerospace engineering and the space focus of it, was that always kind of something going to college that you wanted to do, or did you just know engineering or? I always wanted, I was always interested in space um, since the time I was a kid. Um, when I was little, I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, you know, then I found out what that involves. <laughs> and I, um, I kind of changed my direction a little bit on that. Um, and also as I kind of found out what I was good at, um, personally and what I, what I enjoyed most, um, 
I, I, I kind of picked my major. Uh, I, I got a Air Force scholarship to school and um, you had to pick your major before starting. So I picked my major um, prior to my freshman year. But at the time, tech had like a program where you chose your, you went to the engineering school and then you chose your major after, after being in the program for a year. So you had like different experiences or you could have different experiences. They had like all these things set up for us to go to as part of a class um, that talked about the different disciplines. So you could make a more informed choice if you weren't really sure what you wanted to do or what the different disciplines focused on. When it came to applying for positions, was that space operations officer always, always there from the very beginning? Like, I'm going to be a space operations officer, or was it kind of like, oh, that's an option, let me apply? So um, when I did my dream sheet, um, and at the time, you just put down like five different things that you were interested in, and I didn't, I kind of assumed that this is not good advice. You should not do this. I assumed that because I was an aerospace engineer and everybody before me who I knew that had graduated with that degree went on to be an acquisitions officer. So I honestly thought that I was going to be an acquisitions officer. Um, and so when I got that form, I was just kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter what I put on here. So I'll just put anything that I, I think sounds cool. Uh, and they had space and missiles on there. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. So I just you know put it on there. <laughs> So uh, that's kind of how that happened. And then, of course, um, the Air Force, um, at the time that I commissioned, it was uh, 2006. I'd, I'd been in school for five years, so it was right after 9-11, and they were going through some of those rift boards. So there was a lot of changes made. My original um, AFSC designation was COM. So that was really unexpected. I was really shocked by that. And then um, my designation was changed um, in the spring of my senior year to space and missiles. Um, and to me, it was still like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to be an acquisitions officer, but, uh, honestly, I feel like I, you know, I kind of won the lotto on that one. Um, cause I feel like that could have gone a different way. Um, I really enjoy operations. Um, it's something that I feel like, um, is, you know, it's, it's a really important career field in the air force itself or, and now the space force, but. Also for me personally, I just, I find it very fulfilling. Sure. So definitely want to dive into a little bit of your space and missile career. Um, I think that from at least my perspective as attachment, it's so, um, I'm sure some cadets are very uh, experienced and have a lot of education and really what that all entails, but some don't. And I know that's such a broad topic to throw out there. But if you want to just start, start talking about your first assignment and kind of how that was just being a brand new second lieutenant and your experience uh, hopping into the real Air Force and any lessons you might have learned just off the bat. So my, my first tour of duty was missiles. Um, I was stationed at uh, Maelstrom. And uh, at the time, they, they haven't done this for all. This, this is kind of old, so kind of dating myself, but... Once upon a time, if you were space and missiles, you went through um, the same uh, starting training. So everybody went through um, a class together um, on space principles and also some, some of the things that had to do with our nuclear enterprise. And then you got your assignment after that. Um, 
now with the breakup of the the career fields and uh, everything like that, if you are space, you're going to know that right away. And if you are muscles, you will know you're you're part of the um, 13 in nuclear career field. You'll know that right away. But when I did, um, when I went in, it wasn't like that. So um, I didn't have a lot of space slots in my um, original class. And it was just kind of, you know, it was based on what was available um, at the time. So I, I think my, one of my first or my second choice was Maelstrom. And um, that's where I ended up going. It's in Montana. So um, Montana's a really beautiful state. Um, I had never been there before, <laughs> um, but it, it, it was, it is very beautiful. Um, I've really never been out West before. So when I joined the air force and I drove California for the first time, that was really the, the first real experience with, um, living off the East coast for me, um, at Malmstrom, I think one of the things that, um, became really important to me throughout my career is some of the friends that I made there. Um, I can't say that the mission was exactly, it's a really important mission. Uh, the Air Force still has, you know, a huge amount invested in, um, you know, uh, doing nuclear mission and ensuring that it's done well. But for me, it just wasn't, it wasn't super fulfilling. And um, I didn't really, um, I can't say that I really enjoyed that assignment for what I did uh, at work. But I got a lot of really close friendships out of it. Um, and it's something that I would recommend to anyone on their first um, duty assignment is to make friends. Um, it seems like, well, you're only going to be there for a little bit and then everybody's going to move on. But just like anything else, um, those, those people, we're, we're accustomed to coming in and out of each other's lives and there's not an explanation needed for, you know, you know, you really needed to call, you meant to call them and you really didn't. And oops, I forgot to, you know, send you a Facebook message. There's nothing like that. And it's, they've been, um, it's just been, you know, some of them were in my wedding years later. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where having um, a good support system is just really crucial to your, your personal um, enjoyment of life period. But also to uh, your career. Um, I have some friends from that time, which I still talk to and ask their opinion on things um, and whose opinion I really value as far as career advice. Some people who've just, you know, been through things a few years ahead of me. Where are typical bases in your career field? Are they all kind of that Montana, North Dakota, out West kind of location for the most part? They are for the nuke bases. So um, for Montana, like the Maelstrom, I don't believe that there's any um, Space Force boats there now. Um, but force, I know that Peterson has been designated um, and Vandenberg. And there's some other um, things throughout the world where um, Space Force members um, will be deployed to or will have the opportunity to be stationed because we're still extremely integrated with the Air Force and that's still, you know, super important for us as space professionals to maintain those connections, even though we are going to be our own service and we are working towards lots of goals with that in 
in having our own identity, etc. It doesn't mean that the mission doesn't need to be integrated and we don't need each other very much. So there's lots of opportunities, but there is a lot of stuff in Colorado. Um, and there is a fair amount in California as well. Right. Two good places to be. So after that, after missiles um, at Maelstrom, what was your next um, position? So my next assignment was an offensive space control assignment at um, uh, Force Space Control. And at the time, I was stationed at Holloman. Uh, that unit is now at Peterson Air Force Base. Um, but at the time, um, I was stationed at Holloman, and that's in New Mexico. Um, it's kind of in southern New Mexico, uh, not too far from White Sands National Monument. Um, and I really, um, I think my... My favorite thing about that assignment was the mission. It was completely opposite of missiles in a lot of ways for, for me because um, I was, um, uh, it, was, it was a mission which I really thought was interesting and uh, unique. And, um, but there weren't a lot of people around that I knew so I, I had kind of relied a lot on some of those friendships that I'd formed in my first duty assignment. And uh, you always, they always say what a small air force it is. And it is very true. There were some, even though it wasn't a big space base at the time, um, there were still people on that base that I knew from my first assignment who were later stationed there. So that was cool. So have you found that um, going back and different assignments and seeing people you've worked with being in the space community? Yes, definitely. Um, definitely have. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those things. Um, I might my next assignment after that was at Peterson. I helped, um, to, I helped go up with the unit when the unit relocated to Peterson and, um, there's, you know, you can kind of go to the commissary and cause there were so many people, um, who I had previously worked with, I, every once in a while you just run into people. It's a, it's a cool experience. So have you had a favorite, um, I guess there's different ways I could ask this question and I probably get different answers, but was there, is there a favorite, uh, first off, I want to ask favorite mission. Was it that uh, assignment you just listed or did you have a different position where you had, where you really enjoyed the job? Because it seems like you've had kind of different jobs and different missions. And I'm not sure if that's a common thing in kind of your career path, but. For, for my time period, it was more common for now. What we're looking to do for space professionals is to kind of grow people more in, um, in expertise. And at the time that I came in the air force and the, um, the career field didn't officially split until after I was in my second assignment. Um, so at that point, um, there is kind of a rift and if you were missiles, you're going to stay missiles. And if you were space, you're going to stay space. Um, and then they identified people as such, um, at that point, like I said, now you, you get that identification immediately for space. Um, I'm not sure going forward exactly how we're going to, um, annotate a, um, the old, uh, air force assignment system. If we're going to, how we're going to do that exactly. Um, but I'm sure that somebody's working on it. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of different mission areas in space. And we do have um, some cool stuff that um, 
I worked in two of the major ones that I worked in are um, space domain awareness and offensive space control. Like I said before, um, probably my favorite um, like mission was offensive space control, just because at the time it was, it felt really cutting edge and it felt like um, we, you know, we just had such a sense of purpose um, uh, with our, with our job. And, um, but I think my favorite assignment so far has been when I was at, I was a detachment commander, um, in Socorro, New Mexico. So, um, I went to Peterson with the, uh, space control, force space control unit when the unit moved up. And then I worked, um, uh, at the group level doing that mission for a little bit. And I had a small stint in the inspector general's office for the wing. And then I moved down to Socorro, New Mexico um, to work as a detachment commander um, overseeing contractors at one of our telescopes. And um, that mission is the Space Domain Awareness Mission. And it was a really fulfilling job for me personally. And um, I just, I really enjoyed um, a lot of the people that I worked with. I worked with a lot of contractors, but I also had a really cool leadership team. Um, because there was me at the telescope where I worked, um, but there were also two other detachment commanders who were in charge of two other t telescopes. One was in Maui and one's in Diego Garcia. And then also a detachment commander um, in um, Montgomery, Alabama for space fence. And we were all under the 20th Space Control Squadron uh, at Eglin. So uh, it was cool to have a, a large leadership team like that and be a, be a part of um, some of those discussions. And really, I felt like some of the forefront of the SDA mission at the time as to, you know, where we were going with things. So, so two questions to that. What was your experience with contractors versus just normal Air Force, Space Force personnel? Was it just kind of similar, like people are people? getting a job done or did you see kind of a difference or something that kind of made that job a little bit different than possibly because of that? Well, it's, um, there are some things that are people are people. That's, that's for sure. Um, you know, just cause we take off or put on a uniform doesn't, doesn't mean we stop being people. Um, but there's also like a lot of things, um, with contractors that are unique. So unlike, some of the things where um, we moved around a lot, especially um, from people of my Space Force generation, if you will, who had kind of more of a breadth of experience. Um, some of the people doing the job um, in Socorro had been there for a very long time. Some of them had been there for like nine years, um, seven years. And so they had this wealth of knowledge and understanding of how that weapon system really worked. Um, Sorry about the cat. Um, but it's uh, it's kind of a different beast when you have someone who's that um, specialized in their in their knowledge because they can really help you um, uh, have an understanding of what needs to happen and um, what lymphacs are. And, and you know, when you ask them how to do something, they have a whole other level of understanding of how that weapon system works. Um, so it is, it's different, but it is the same in some ways. Um, 
And it's one of those things that's pretty cool to, to just have that experience where, um, you know, and we, and we, we need kind of everybody in space because our mission area, um, it started a lot of different places. Space wasn't like one of those things that was very coherent where everyone was like, okay, we're going to have space force and this is how it's going to go. Um, there are a lot of different things that started up differently that have now come together. Um, and so we have lots of different uh, types of workers, if you will. And they're all crucial to, especially the SDA mission. Um, for space domain awareness, there just, you know, there, there can't be, there can almost be nothing else in the domain that goes right if you don't know what's going on. So it's just a really important um, mission area. Um, and we utilize, in order to understand what's happening, we utilize data from tons of different sensors. There's not just telescopes, there's radars, um, and there's lots of other sensors worldwide that do that mission and provide that information. So space, uh, or like manned space, um, the space around Earth uh, is primarily what we want to have an understanding with for um, the military as to what's happening around Earth, just um, not just for with our own satellites, but with uh, satellites of our allies and partners, and also um, satellites of maybe some people that aren't looking out for our best interests internationally. Um, it's really important for us to have an understanding of how people or uh, different nations are using their space assets and um, what their goals are. And uh, we can't do that without understanding where stuff is in, in the domain. So one of the, the key things that Space Domain Awareness provides is locational information for where things are. Um, and we use that as, as flight safety. And we also use that to understand um, things on the international scene um, for uh, politics and things like that as well. In Air Science 400, our senior level uh, Air Force RTC class, we've certainly uh, dove into the topic of space a lot. Um, and I think that's especially space domain awareness and uh, just understanding how many satellites and how almost cluttered the space is at this point, just from everything and uh, going about. So um, where do you see space going from here, from your perspective? From here, from my perspective? Well, I hope as we, as we continue to build our, our service, um, we build a, a culture of uh, cooperation um, because I, I hope to see our service um, exploit some of those key partnerships um, with allies and um, with the commercial sector that have made us so successful um, with space in the Air Force. Um, so I hoped that that continues. Um, I also hope that we kind of develop um, our people a little bit differently than the Air Force. Um, that, I think that's one thing in space, we do have some, some uniqueness, if you will. Um, a lot of our missions are 24 hour missions. So we don't necessarily go somewhere else to do our job. We do our job every day for 24 hours. There's somebody sitting on that ops floor and they are there um, ready and, and working no matter what. So I, I hope that uh, some of our 
personnel type of things will be more geared towards that type of mission area because it's quite prevalent um, for space operators that I think everybody in the Air Force has a, um, it's a little bit different, especially with aircraft, right? Because a lot of times when you're at home, you're not doing your, you're maybe training or you're working on other things, but you're not necessarily doing your mission. And that, I think that's a little bit more unique to just space operations. Right. Um, yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I guess it's an international battle and uh, there's always a sun somewhere in the world. So someone's always up. But uh, yeah, it's true. I, okay. So on the other side of things, on the other missions that you really talked about a lot was the space, uh, off offensive space control. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. What exactly is that mission? That's part of our um, space superiority mission overall, um, ensuring that our uh, combatant commanders uh, have control over space and they can exploit it for um, their purposes when they need stuff to flow through space, it can happen. And when the other guy needs stuff to happen, it doesn't happen. So um, it's one of the things that is a little bit different than some of the other space missions because it's not necessarily 24 hour. Um, there are deployments available in that mission and I, I did have an opportunity to deploy and um, it was a, a great experience and I'd love to do that again sometime. Um, because you just, you feel very um, cl much closer to the pointy end of the sphere. Uh, space sometimes can feel very distant, um, but it's, it's an integral part. Almost everything that we do is an integral part of the pointy end of the sphere. Um, but we're not necessarily the person with the sphere at the end of the day. Um, so it's a little bit uh, of a unique thing um, for space. Could you dive in a little bit about your experience deployed and kind of talk about where that was and really how that differed from just being back in the States? So um, I got to do um, a deployment. Some of the things that I, so I, I didn't look at the releasability of my reports. So I'm not sure if I can say the actual location, yeah. but it was not in the United States. Um, <laughs> But is it, it is one of those things that um, is is just a completely different experience um, being able to do your job um, downrange in support of a combatant commander, um, supporting people who you know, uh, and you're a little bit closer to the to the actual, um, like you said, pointy end of the sphere kind of thing. Right. So where you are today is you're in the U.S. Space Force. Um, was that something that you kind of were told to do or was that something you chose to join the Space Force or kind of how did it, that transition go from the Air Force to the Space Force? So it's definitely a choice. Um, so for everyone, he was a 13 Sierra like I am. So the AFSC for Space Operations in the Air Force, we were given the opportunity to volunteer. Um, so I volunteered um, to join the Space Force. Um, people who decided that they wanted to stay in the Air Force, and there are people that did. Um, a lot of them had different backgrounds or um, multiple career backgrounds, and uh, they'll be transitioning to maybe do other things or we'll have a transition period, if you will. 
Um, I had 14 years in, so I definitely was um, wanting to, to go try something new, if you will. Um, and so my application was accepted and um, I had to wait until after my promotion boards results came out in order to transfer. Um, that's kind of why it took, it took me a little bit longer. Um, but for me, it was definitely something that, you know, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity um, to join a branding service and uh, space is something I'm very passionate about and very interested in. So I definitely wanted to, to stick with the career field and the, um, the startup and the new, new force. So when were you initially into the Space Force? How long have you been before? Um, October 13th or 14th. So like maybe like a month. <laughs> so I, I just really did it really, really shortly um, after they had an, announced um, our, our board results. So how have you seen any differences between the two at this point? Um, not in the, I think we're still figuring those differences out as a service. Um, we, we have some, some of, I saw some articles uh, recently that just kind of had some quotations that said from our higher level leaders, you know, we're really interested in doing this right. So we're not going to be um, uh, hasty about this. We're going to do this right. And I, I, I'm, you know, I personally think that if we're going to stand up a new service, might as well do it right, right? So um, there hasn't been a lot of changes for me personally yet because I'm still in um, the, I'm still on the air staff, um, but I'm working closely with the Space Force staff and we probably will transition here in the short term. Um, and lots of other stuff like that is happening everywhere where, you know, the, the mission's still getting done. We're still doing the things that, that need to happen every day. But we're just kind of working on that um, transition, if you will. And it's really more of a transition than anything because we're still going to work really closely with the Air Force in almost everything that we do. Um, just like uh, I said before, it's, it's what's made space so um, successful is being able to support um, all the um, – and being integrated into – all of those joint things that we're doing out there um, that's, that's made us so successful. Sure. So do you see force, I guess, slowly, probably surely taking over more of um, what we do in the Air Force when it comes to space and that, those type of operations? Well, definitely. Um, I hope that there's more education about space. Um, and I, I think probably people in other career fields like cyber would say that too. Um, we use things um, that are in space every day and information every day from space um, in our civilian lives um, and in our military lives. And it's important for um, us as officers to understand how that stuff works um, because those things can be vulnerable and it's important to understand what we're going to do in a, a wartime environment um, to protect uh, our assets to, that make us successful. And then also to ensure that the enemy doesn't have access to those same advantages. Right. Um, 
So your current position you mentioned in the form you filled out before is that you're a space superiority panel. Um, yes. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and what really, um, are you just giving insight to others or kind of what that position entails? Sure. So one of the things that um, we have to do as a service, right, is um, the budget. Congress sets the budget, of course, but uh, it's our it's our job to assist with exactly how that's carried out um, as far as planning goes. So when we I'm I'm part of the group of people that plan for the future, and what we basically do is we look at the direction that we've been given from Congress and our national leadership, as well as the our, our service leadership, and then we look at the no kidding stuff, the list of stuff, if you will. And we work through solutions and um, options for how that those things can be paid for. And it's, um, and the Air Force has uh, lots of different panels on the um, air staff, if you will. And space is just one part of that. Um, when, we, when we transition to Space Force, um, we will be still under the Department of the Air Force, so we're still going to be participating um, with the Air Force at a service level, and um, we're going to keep planning for the future, for sure. Um, and, you know, our money is always going to come from our congressional leaders, so we're still going to need to plan for that, too. So has that been so have you done a position like or kind of how has this been looking more at the financial than just really like, you know, talk about the missions earlier? Yeah, it's definitely my first real um, staff experience. Um, I'm, I'm a major um, and I'm a little bit unusual in that I really don't have any other staff time. Um, I did spend a short amount of time in the wing IG's office, um, mostly doing um, inspection planning. Um, which is just verifying that compliance, basically, just making sure that, you know, like when the wing commander says we're doing this, this, and this, making sure that we're doing this, this, and this. Um, so it has been a, a different experience for me, for sure, to, to be a part of the air staff and, to, and it has been a little bit of a learning curve, understanding um, how the different um, things work as far as money goes and um, what what all the acronyms mean, etc. So it has been a learning curve. It's not something that is specific, if you will, to to my career field. There's lots of people on the air staff that have different experience than me and come from different sections of the Air Force. But for our different panels that we work in, the panels are divided by mission areas. So all most of the people that I work with, um, who are also on the space superiority panel have space experience. Um, and some of us will um, already transitioned and we became uh, Space Force officers. And some of us are staying in the Air Force and they're civilians as well. So there's lots of different um, people, if you will, who, who work to do this kind of work. So after this, yourself, where do you see going from your career field is it those big contractors or what's kind of someone from your experience end up doing afterwards uh after we get out of the air force yes 
after I get out of the force. Um, well, I hope to, um, I hope to be a small teams lead. Um, uh, I think that's where my strength lies. Um, and I, I would think engineering or, um, some type specifically, um, aerospace or space oriented, some type of astro type thing, um, would be something I'd, I'd be most interested in, um, and I have a lot of operational experience in, on the other end, kind of on using stuff that people design for um, space and, um, and such. So I hope to leverage that um, portion of my career field, as well as the other leadership um, positions that I've held within the Air Force um, to make myself more um, interesting, I suppose, to um, uh, potentially a defense contractor, or maybe as space becomes more accessible, just a regular old commercial company who um, has projects in, in space and they're looking um, for someone with my type of experience. Other things that people um, with careers in space operations that I know about who have retired, I do know people who retired and then gone and worked for NASA. Um, there's also people who've um, become teachers um, or gone out and done something completely different. Um, you know, it just, it kind of depends on individually, uh, what you're interested in, um, pursuing for sure. I think that my experience will, will be valuable in the civilian sector. Um, but, uh, I, I, I just think for me personally, I'll, I would enjoy a small teams management and an engineering firm best. So small teams, is that just groups of, um, what exactly do you mean by a small teams like engineering? Just for people? So I, I would say like um, a project manager, of a small team, so 10 to 20 people. Um, I feel like that's, that's the size that um, I kind of work best and my leadership style works best. Um, and that's, that's just the, I think when you have a team that's a little bit smaller, you do have an opportunity to be more personable. Um, and you have an opportunity to not just see the 20%. Um, and if you're familiar with the 80-20 rule, and in leadership, lots of times they tell you that you're going to be spending 80% of your time on 20% of your people. Um, but with a smaller team, you do uh, often have the opportunity to um, kind of broaden that a little bit. Being in Air Force RTC now, cadets in our program have the opportunity to join the Space Force. Um, mm-hmm. My fellow cadets who uh, went to or goes to Emory Riddle, she is about to commission the Space Force, I guess, after this year. So it's um, definitely a real possibility for a lot of cadets. It's about to happen. Uh, what would you say to any cadets in our program that are possibly thinking about it and um, really the, the opportunity there is to join the Space Force and what to expect, honestly? So it's an exciting time. Um, it was a super exciting time to be in the Space Force. Um, get ready to be challenged. Uh, it's definitely going to be, um, you're definitely going to get challenges and we're still figuring everything out. We haven't set up a new service since the air force was set up in like the forties. So it's been a while and some stuff has changed. So, uh, if you want to join the space force, um, we're, we're looking for talented, hardworking people who are, who are ready for a challenge. Great. 
Um, so another topic, uh, I'm going to divert away from space and into something uh, a lot of people can relate to. And if not yet, they definitely will probably eventually. It's just um, how you've handled family life and everything of sort. You've mentioned to me how your mom, how your husband's in the civilian career field. So how has it been? How's that dynamic been? Just to- Sure. So um, I'm a mom. I have a, a two-year-old son and my uh, second child is due in January. Um, I got married, um, let's see, four years ago. Um, so a little bit later in my career, my husband is a civilian. And um, one of the things that we had to decide very early on in our relationship is uh, who is going to be the flexible one career-wise. And my husband has been very supportive of um, my interests. And he does also work, um, but he has followed me. So um, I, when I've moved, he's moved with me. And everybody kind of has a different, um, I guess, want or um, expectation as to how careers are going to go. You just have to choose um, what's best for you and your, and your family. Um, for us, it, it's, it's worked um, because we've, we've decided that it's going to. Um, my husband has made a lot of sacrifices, lots of civilian spouses do, but um, he's also had some really cool um, solar jobs while we've been married and after um, we've gotten reassigned that he's enjoyed as well. Um, with our son, um, we're both very hands-on parents and I was in a 24 hour job um, when, when my son was born. So after I came back from my maternity leave, I was working um, shift work and um, it was a challenging time for us, but it was also a time where I got to maybe not spend the, the what the average person spends with their kid, but I got to be with my my son at different times. And I just kind of, um, I really appreciated some of the things that shift work had to offer. So maybe I wasn't there to give my son um, a bath or tuck him in at night, but I was able to take him to story time at the library because I had a swing shift that day. So um, sometimes it's, for me, it's just kind of been embracing some of the, the non-traditionalness of the schedule that's been helpful. Um, I do hope that we, um, going forward, will have um, some more things open to 24-hour um, shift workers, um, childcare-wise. Um, there are there is childcare available um, at the CDC during um, the times that the CDC is open in the Air Force right now. They're not 24-hour CDCs, but there are programs through family care providers for um, parents who are working 24-hour shifts who uh, need uh, care for their, their children while they're on shift. Um, I didn't end up using those programs while I was at Vandenberg because at the time that I started there, um, they didn't have anyone in the family care provider um, option at that time. Um, but I would just encourage anyone um, who 
wanted like childcare specific information. It's really individual right now. Um, it's, it's something that there's a childcare provider on every base, every Air Force installation. Um, as far as like, I guess a provider's not really the right, right word. Coordinator is probably the right word. And their, their whole job is to help, um, especially when you have a non-traditional schedule. So I would, that, that's my best advice for um, parents out there who are doing non-traditional work. Um, it can seem a little daunting at times, but I, I do feel like um, the child care coordinator was very helpful to me at, at, at Vandenberg in my experience. Um, and then I guess just the last part of it, you know, I love my job and I love what I do. And, uh, I think that makes me a better mom at the end of the day because I'm a fulfilled person. So that's kind of it. <laughs> right. Right. We totally have part of RTC, but we have already in that kind of situation other cadets like myself, um, still a college student. Um, can't even imagine all the extra responsibility to come with it, don't know how to handle it. But um, how often have you had to use on top of just um, uh, offerings from the US Air Force and Space Force or some basis? Um, how have you used possibly other just family and friends uh, where possible to um, step up where they if so, um, how has it been to just keep up with everything, honestly? Well, honestly, I have a big support network. Um, I think that's very critical to, to my success. Um, just like as anyone, um, I've had to I've had um, a harder time with COVID and not being able to, to ask people. But in, in general, especially when I was at Vandenberg, I had multiple people who were able to help me out. Um, I saw recently um, like a comparison where it said like, how do you prioritize different things in your life? And um, it was a, the Facebook post had like a, kind of like a metaphor where you were always juggling things, but some of the, th the, the balls that you were juggling were glass and some of them were plastic. And so sometimes you can let a plastic ball drop um, and it doesn't matter. And then sometimes you got to catch a glass ball no matter what. And so I think being able to understand your personal limitations and knowing what's most important to you and what's most important at that time is really helpful um, for me personally. And then having other people in your life who are willing to, to help you. Um, you know, I, when I was in California, I was 3000 miles away from my mom. So I couldn't exactly call her and say, Hey, can you go pick up my son at daycare today? <laughs> um, but sometimes kids get sick and, you know, you need somebody to help you out. So um, I had several friends who I had listed on um, the daycare form that were willing to go over and, and, and pick, it, pick him up and take care of him if, um, if I needed some help. Um, and, you know, I, there was something that I just had to do at work or I was on shift and couldn't leave, stuff like that. Um, 
And for here, um, I do have a larger uh, family system here because I'm, I'm from here. So my parents do still live in Woodridge, which is nice. Um, you know, I just really appreciate having that extra, extra support and flexibility um, when I need to, because I want, of course, want to make sure that my son is okay and that he's doing great. But at the same time, sometimes I have to do stuff at work. That's really important. Right. So it's a little bit of a balancing act. Uh, my best advice is to, to grow your, grow your support network. And if you feel like um, you're, you're kind of by yourself and you don't have anybody because you're, you're stationed without your family, you don't have any good friends around. Um, there's a family support system program on all Air Force installations. Um, and they offer some classes. And so really, um, it's an opportunity to meet people. And also, I think you'd be surprised when you just ask people um, how willing people are to help you um, and to help you manage things. Right. So um, gone through, I'm sure, a lot your master's degree in family life and raising children and going through the process, everything else. Um, how have you, on top of different assignments and different friends and everything else, how have you tried to take advantage of that time that you do have um, when you do get the opportunity to get the child or husband or see your friend? Um, for some of us that are also very busy and going to get even busier lives once we're active, do you have any advice to really for someone to make those connections? And that could even just be as a leader. When you do see someone like you, uh, recommend? Um, sure. Um, well, sometimes like the, the easiest thing to do is just ask people, um, like if you need help, I, I can re recall um, a situation where I was at Hallman and one of our, um, younger airmen, um, was a single mom and she just, she had some things that she had to do. So we had some shift time, if you will, that she had to be at. And she, I, I think she was pretty um, stuck. And so she asked some of her coworkers if they would mind watching her children, and they did. Um, and that kind of became a regular thing. Um, and, of course, you know, she returned the favor as well, and she would watch their kids for them at other times. So um, sometimes it's just like, I guess, I guess making the first outreach um, can be helpful. Um, the worst thing somebody could say is no. Um, and then you're still where you were. So um, the other thing that I think um, I probably didn't understand when I was in college, but I hope that I do better now, is just how important um, resting is and that you can't do everything. Um, I think when I was in college, I, I, I didn't have a very good grasp of that. Um, but one of the things that I try to do is I – I try to just realize that that's just as important as some of the work that I'm doing or, um, you know, even like making dinner or something like that. It's, you know, obviously you need to do it and it's important to eat and that kind of stuff. But, you know, sometimes it's okay to give yourself a break and um, just kind of just that relaxing or kicking back a little bit 
can just be just as important for um, your resiliency as anything else. And um, you can always do more work, no matter what kind of work it is. You can always do more. You could be at work or um, at school 24-7, and you could never be finished. So sometimes you just have to decide when you're done for the moment. So um, that's my best advice. Great. Yeah. Yeah. All that resonates um, what you say to debt three three probably answer a lot of it. Um, but uh, just summing up uh, our conversation here today, um, is there anything uh, for cadets going through our program right now, whether freshman, sophomore, about a commission in a couple months? Um, is there any advice you would give to them just from everything you've learned so far as a leader and just a person? I would say decide what kind of leader you want to be. Um, I, I think that's one of the hardest things for, for people to do is to make a decision on what kind of leader they want to be before you get into the position that you're going to, that you want. So everybody joins the air force or space force for a different reason. And, um, a lot of us who joined on the officer side, were really interested in leadership and being in a leadership position. Um, you don't really want to leave what, how you want to treat people and what's important to you leadership wise um, to when you achieve your goal of getting selected for a position or um, when you're uh, find yourself in charge of a project, you kind of want to decide what is important to you beforehand um, because everybody gets overwhelmed and everybody's going to run off against a really challenging situation. And that kind of little list that you have of who you want to be as a leader um, can really help you in, in deciding how to overcome those things. Um, I personally find that sometimes in a challenging situation, I like to go back and read like the, the little leadership philosophy things that um, I've come up with that I've decided that are important to me and um, it really helps me focus on, on, on making a good decision that's consistent with my personal values. And um, I think it, I think it makes me a stronger leader in general. Um, and I say that knowing that I've changed a lot. It hasn't always been the same philosophy. I definitely don't think that I would have put some of the things on there um, in college that I have on there now. Um, so it doesn't have to be a document, you know, or, a, you know, something that you just make up and then never change. I, I've certainly stolen anything that I felt was good from other people. And um, I certainly added to it um, as my experience grew or changed. Um, but it's probably the, I would say, just decide what's important to you as a leader. What are the things that are important that you want to make sure you you do or take care of or values that you want to to live by or make your decisions by sure yeah. i think that's really good advice and if any cadets were different, i'd say rewind the um, that was pretty good but uh, overall that's all i have if you don't have anything else um really thank you for hopping on
on, uh, giving us some of your time, talk about your experiences and stuff like that. Uh, I think just to have someone from the Space Force come on and just share a little more information than we ever heard before is very beneficial. So uh, I just want to thank you again. If you're ever in the area for some reason near Deck 330, even though you weren't a grad, but you were here for a little bit, um, definitely you're more than welcome to stop by and we'd love any ex expertise that you're willing to share. So uh, I just want to thank you one more time. Well, thanks for having me and uh, good luck to y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to check out our social media. We are both on Instagram at AFROTC at underscore debt 330 and on Facebook at Air Force ROTC Detachment 330 uh, hyphen University of Maryland. Also, shout out to Cadet Bobby Robinson for the intro music. You got some sweet bars.